Well, it was a dark night, unusually dark night, and the sheep were unusually quiet. It's often a sign of trouble. We could see it kind of as they were so still. And the shepherds were paying close attention, attuned to the possibility that maybe a wolf might be near. Sitting in the ominous darkness really wasn't one of the favorite part of a shepherd's profession. Because most people don't like sitting in darkness, right? You like sitting just in pure darkness? As we learn from an early age to be fearful of darkness, and that's why I think nightlights are really important, right? In little kids' rooms, you put a little nightlight. I remember that little four-watt bulb that my mom didn't put in a room, but just outside in the hallway just gave me enough comfort and reassurance, just a little bit of stream of light. And even as we grow up, there is still this inborn fear of the dark, like the shepherds had, I think, probably that night. You know, if you hear a strange noise in your house around 3 p.m. in the afternoon, you might think that's a little odd, but you, you don't think much of it, right? It's kind of like, well, okay. But if you hear the strange sound in your totally darkened house at 3 a.m., you kind of perk up and you maybe do what I do and you nudge the person next to you <laughs> and say, you better go down there and want to check that out. In the middle of the night, darkness breeds fear. I remember one time I had a, a night that was dark like that and, and full of terror. I was, I was home alone. Um, my family were away. They went up to Thief River Falls to visit her, my, my wife's family. And it was a Saturday night. I was home because that weekend I was going to be preaching. And so I go to bed rather early, usually on Saturday nights. It was probably 9.30 or so that I had fallen asleep, 9.30, 10. And, at 11.30, somewhere between 11.30 and midnight, I awoke in panic as I heard, I seriously heard a shuffling in the kitchen. And my heart was just beating really rapidly and I didn't know what to do. You know, I got the blood coursing through my veins. It's that kind of fear or fight, flight. I have no way to fly out of there. I'm on the second floor. So I decided I'm going to fight. And so... I got up in my pajamas, and, and our house has kind of come out of our room. There's a banister and, and a railing here, and there's a stairs that comes up, and it goes in the hallway goes into the kitchen. So I I could hear that noise. So I just I took you know like my training from military days. No, I didn't have any military training. <laughs> I took the position. I went like this, and I yelled as loud as I could. I've got a gun. And my wife and two kids come walking around the corner. And I shoot imagination. You know, anyway. They're laughing. You ever have those things that you still laugh at today? I look so silly up there. Well, that's what darkness does. It's uncomfortable, it's confusing, and at times it's quite terrifying. And so that night, in the darkness of the night, with the shepherds hearing this, and then all sensing this bright light, grabbing their rods and their staffs, ready to yell, I've got a club. To their surprise, out of this darkness appears an angel. And, and we're told, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel praising God. And this is what they said. 
glory to God in the highest. And on earth peace to those on whom his favor, or you can say his good will flows. And in the midst of this dark night, God shines with glory all around them. And I want us, as we think about this Christmas, to think no matter what, in the midst of your darkness, no matter what's going on in your life, it may not even be that dark, you may be in a place of joy. In the midst of it, God's glory shines all around us. It's a matter we want to see it. And if we don't see it even in our life right at the moment, we can see it in the birth of this child. Because God doesn't want us to be in the dark about his presence and his love. He wants us to know what is true. He doesn't want us to be confused. He doesn't want us to live in terror. And he came so that we could walk in the light of his presence, that we could live in the hope of his promises. He wants us to glory day by day, moment by moment, in his love. And I can tell you it's not always easy to do. But we need to be reminded to do that. And sometimes we need to just to say it out loud. And the glory of the Lord shone all around them. And the multitudinous choir of angels probably sang it out. Let's say it together. Glory to God in the highest. L- little, little more enthusiasm this time? You got it? That was practice. Ready? Glory to God in the highest. Glory, when it's used of God, means his external manifestation of his being. God's glory is something that appears. It says in Exodus chapter 16, verse 10, that while Aaron was speaking to these grumbling Israelite communities, they looked out at the desert, and Scripture says, and there was the glory of God appearing to them in a cloud. So he, it's his manifest presence that appears. It's also revealed. Isaiah 40 Verse 5 says, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all mankind will see it. Glory may also be used in this way. Give glory to God. Give glory to God. I want you to say it with me. Give glory to God. One more time. Give glory to God. Thank you. Because it just means to recognize his glory and his presence, his appearance in your life. It's what the psalmist would say when he would say, glorify the Lord with me, let us exalt his name together. And so all I really want to do in this message this morning is just to say, give glory to God. When you say, give glory to God, in a number of different ways, when we look at this birth of Jesus Christ and what it means for you and for me in our lives, glory to God in the highest, says the angels. Give glory to God. It could be in the highest or in your highest Form of praise. Acknowledging the wonders of his presence through the birth of Christ. Give glory to God. This is not just a Christmas story. Give glory to God. Don't forget that when you look at the the, the gospel of Luke, it, it records much of the story of Christmas. You'll find that Luke wants us to know right from the beginning, this is not just some Christmas story. Because by the time Luke was writing, there were what was called fake news in that day spreading. Literal fake news. And so Luke's first words are this. I'm writing 
for you, the mighty lover of God, which is the word Theophilus. I don't think it was really necessarily his name. I think it may have been a way of him kind of coding this. An orderly account of what Jesus, the anointed one, the accomplished and fulfilled among us. Several eyewitness biographies have already been written. So they, things are floating around. Using as their source material the good news preached among us by his early disciples who became loving servants of the word. He uses the word logos here. He's keying into what John says, the word that became flesh. But now, listen to what he writes. I am passing on to you this accurate compilation of my own meticulous investigation based on numerous eyewitness interviews and thorough research of the story of his life. Can't say a lot. I mean, I want you to know this is not just a story. It is appropriate for me to write this, for he also appeared to me so that I would be reassure you beyond any shadow of a doubt the reliability of all that you have been taught. Give glory to God. This is not just a Christmas story. This happened, this happened on a real day in history. That's why we read in verse 11 of Luke 2, for unto you is born this day. It happened on a day, a day in history, not a day in some mythological, imaginary world, but a day, as we read again in Luke chapter 2, when Caesar Augustus was emperor of Rome and Quirinius was the governor of Syria. He's giving you time stamps that you can go back. This happened not only on a certain day, but in a real city. He says, in the city of David. It happened in a city not in Narnia, not in Middle Earth, not in a galaxy far away. It happened in a city about 7,000 miles from Minneapolis here. The city still exists today. The city is real. And the city's name is Bethlehem. Joseph also went up from Galilee to the city of Bethlehem, which is called to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, Luke 2.4. Bethlehem was about six miles from Jerusalem, the city where Jesse, his father David, lived. And Bethlehem, the city that Micah prophesies over, so it's a city that has a long history to it. He actually says, O Bethlehem, but you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, you, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel. Whose coming forth is from old, from ancient of days. It happened in a day in history, in a city, a real city, just like Minneapolis, Plymouth, or even possibly Eden Prairie, Dinah. This happened to real people like you and me. Shepherds, these wise academic kings, political rulers, Business people like innkeepers and carpenters and on and on give glory to God because this actually happened. It's not just a story. It actually happened in a day, in a city, to real people. And give glory to God because this story has implications for you and me. That's what I want to continue to talk about is give glory to God. Say it with me. Give glory to God. God's timing is always best. I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know what you may be waiting for. I don't know what is occurring. But Luke chapter 2 verse 11 says, For unto you is born this day. It happened on a day, and they said a real day in history. But it wasn't some accident. It wasn't some unforeseen event. It wasn't a day when we just happened to get lucky or we beat the odds and won some kind of lottery. 
in an actual point in time, exactly according to God's timing. For unto you is born this day a Savior who is Christ the Lord. It was a day planned in eternity before the creation of the world. In fact, the whole universe. Think about these untold light years of space and billions of galaxies. It was actually created and made glorious for this day that we celebrate on Christmas. We're we're told in Colossians, we read this about a couple months ago, for by him all things were created in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. For him and for his appearance, for this day of his appearing. Paul writes further at one point, when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. And it happened on a day, the perfect day in God's perfect timing, for in the fullness of time, the perfect time appointed by God before the foundation of the world... Really interesting, 700 years before, Isaiah says, for unto us a child is born. And here's what the angels say the day he is born, the day that he had prepared, the day that was perfect in his timing. The angels actually repeat the words of those words of Isaiah some 700 years before, and they say, for unto you today, this day, is born a Savior. God is a God of perfect timing. Yet here is one of the things I don't like about God's timing, and that is the word waiting. Right? Allison and, 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 and Garrett shared their own story of waiting. But God is wait, He has this ability to wait till the time is full, which we don't know what that full time is, but in the fullness of time. Abraham is told some 25 years before that he'll have a son, and it's not till he's 100. Can you imagine what he's thinking? As he's, I think, almost giving up. Joseph is a, is a young man who's, who's full of ambition. He's all excited, and he's really responsible. And his dad gives him this colored coat, not merely out of favoritism, but it's a sign that his older brother and the others had basically forfeited the rights of that firstborn. And he was giving them management and all the inheritance in that sense to be under his care. Again, think Downton Abbey. He's given the, to, to Joseph. And Joseph has this dream as well. And this dream is remarkable. He, he kind of says to his brothers, I'm going to be ruling over you. And, and, this, and then the next thing you know, he's in a caravan going to Egypt. And in Egypt, he becomes kind of this household slave. And he's betrayed by the lady of the house. And he's sent to prison. And, and the whole time he's wondering. And at a certain point, some, it's a political prison because a baker and, and, and the wine taster guy comes down and, and, and he gives a couple of dreams and the one guy gets executed, the other guy makes it and tells him, hey, Joseph, I'll remember you. I'll remember you, Joseph, someday when I get to my place. And here's what scripture says. You're kind of thinking in, in Joseph's shoes, I've been waiting so long for this dream to come true, for this promotion to occur. And Genesis 41.1 says, when two full years passed, after this guy had been brought up to the courts, when two full years passed, Pharaoh had a dream. And not out of the guy's goodness of his heart, he's probably trying to 
you know, get some more brownie points. I remember somebody, a guy, he's in prison. People of God. Wait, his timing isn't our timing. David is told at one point all these brothers, his brothers are, are looked at, and eventually they go, isn't there someone else? And we go, isn't there someone else? And he goes out into the, and he says, yeah, the little guy, the little runt, he's out in the field watching the sheep. They bring him in, he anoints him as king. He begins to have a really good run for a little bit, and before you know it, he's running for his life. The very king that he had won battles for now is trying to take his life, and he runs in the wilderness for years. You may just feel that. The Christmas story is a reminder that God is in charge of time. He knows the fullness of time. And you can do all kinds of things when you're in the midst of that time. I mean, I, I know you can worry, you can, you can become discouraged, and it's really easy to do all those things, very human things. I was standing in the line the other day at Lunds, and Lunds is a, it's a, it's a mess. Don't go there around holiday season. I'm, I'm, no kidding, I'm, I'm walking down rather briskly, like everyone else, to get what I know I wanted to get. I knew it was just, I was, I can get some eggnog. Anyway, um, and I'm running along, and, and out in an aisle, I go, and I just get missed, and I'm, I'm talking about this is a lady older than me who is pushing this cart. And, and I go, and the next one, it's the same thing. I'm kind of like dodging these carts. Anyway, I get to the lines, and there's just a mass of lines, and everyone's jockeying to try and get in there. And I'm thinking to myself, it's really not going to be that much time. Because I, how, you know, how many of you know, I don't like to wait in lines. My kids call me airport Kev because at the airport I am just like nuts. But I remember just standing there, I didn't have anything to do, and I remember just watching it going, you know, I'm going to get there when I'm supposed to get there. God's going to get there, you there when you're supposed to get there. In the fullness of time. Because this is a real story and it happened on the day. According to God's timing. According to God's plan. Give glory to God. God's plans are never haphazardly thrown together. For unto you is born this day in the town of David. I mean, this is all so well planned out. God's long-awaited plan comes together perfectly. Galatians 4, 4, when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son. Because he was in the fullness of time, he's preparing things. One of the reasons you're, you're waiting and, and you're waiting God's time is because he's still doing things. It may be things he's got to do in your heart. Sometimes you're not in a position, I'm not in a position to have the character to actually hold what needs to happen, the blessing that might come or the promotion or whatever God wants to do in your life. And so sometimes he's doing something in our hearts as he's just building muscle of faith. I want you to trust me. I don't want you to try and work this out on your own. I want you to just trust me. And as you keep kind of leaning into it, God's doing something. But he's also doing something in the things around you. So much of what was going on with regard to the coming of Christ was what God was doing to prepare things to get people ready so that when the gift came, it could be at the fullness of time, at the right time, at the right moment, precisely as God had arranged it. In keeping with the plan that the angels probably came down and, you know, when, you know, when you're in a military thing, you give a, you give a, a certain kind of a, um, initiative, a plan. They probably call that Operation Arrival. We're getting everything ready for Operation Arrival. This is going on for probably one 
two, three, four, five hundred, a thousand plus years. They're getting ready for operation arrival. And if you imagine the logistics required, if you work in logistics, give glory to God. Because you got to think about this. This detailed, coordinated, complex operation arrival event, the planning, the management, the arrangement, the administration, the coordination, the execution, the cost. We get amazed by military campaigns or, or a medical initiative where you give a vaccination campaign or, or people who work in, in marketing are amazed sometimes at just all the work that goes into rolling out a whole new product. Here is God taking all of history, working things around. His logistics is he getting things just right. He has a people that has to move in to a land. They get put into slavery. They come out of that. They go through a time where there's a king and they under, I mean they, they understand about a king and they understand what it's like to have a priest before them. They understand what prophets are like. Listen and think about the logistics that go into this. Give God glory because God prepared the world for the gift of his son and the spread of the gospel. He did amazing things. He took a people and in this people, if you're going to understand the wonderful gift of Jesus... You first have to understand why you even need Jesus, right? If if you're going to be given grace, grace makes no sense if you don't understand that you need it. So he gives them a law, and he gives them a law. And really, you think about it, ten laws is, is, I always call it community rules for dummies. It's It's not a real heart, you know, don't lie, don't steal someone else's wife, don't, you know, don't murder. What he gave that for was to show people you can never... We can't do that. Look at our society. Look at our own hearts. They're so far short of the perfection that would need to be to fulfill each and every letter and dot and cross T of that law. We fail. Anybody who's honest with their life realizes they come short of it and realize that you are going to be judged that there is sin it needs to be dealt with and so he prepares not only people the Jews but all the world for the need of the grace that comes to this gift that's just a, a small portion of it because the world also had to be ready culturally in the time of Jesus life Rome Greece Babylon Persia area Egypt were relatively peaceful There was a cessation of major hostilities that had plagued the area for centuries. I've been reading a book. It's a little um, small book called The the History, um, Lessons of History by Will Durant, who has like 13 volumes. But this is all brought down to a book that I like, about 80-some pages. It's great. But anyway, he makes a statement. In the last 3,421 years of recorded history, 3,421 years of recorded history, only 268 have seen no war. And you go, so what's the big deal? There was a cessation of major hostilities that plagued the area, especially that area of Israel, where traffic and war was happening all the time. And think of the Middle East, a period of peace in the Middle East. And that was needed because if that was going to happen, travel could become easier. With wars being minimal, there were resources that could be devoted to culture and philosophy and education. It created a singular culture. The Greek culture would spread across the region. And what was important about that is that the Greek culture went across the region, so also became a common language. So there could be meaningful communication. And along with this piece, here's a really interesting that happened, because it couldn't happen if there wasn't a piece. The engineers of Rome built a road system throughout the world, the known world, 
that is that rivals anything we could build. They had aqueducts. I just read this fact that the aqueducts that they had, which were just pipes that carried water, the water that would come from a distance cleaner than the water you get often from your own city water, which we kind of go, well, we knew that. Anyway, anyway. The world needed to be not only culturally ready, prepared to receive Jesus, they needed to be spiritually hungry. And that was happening. There was an ineffectiveness throughout the world of the Roman gods and the state gods, so the country's gods. Because of Rome's oppressiveness over Israel, they were hoping and waiting for a Messiah, even to the point that a, a um, Samaritan woman who's rejected nationally, rejected by her, her gender and all other ways, is waiting for the Messiah. And after Jesus' ascension, the world was ready and custom made for the spread of the gospel. All this had to be in place because with the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem in AD 70, even though it was tragic for the Jews, it meant the end of all the worship that came through the temple, the Old Testament ritual laws. And what it did was it put the whole Judaistic faith in a pattern where it was not able to even, not just even thrive, but barely survive. So that through that, those who came to faith in Christ began to grow. And that persecution that happened in the land of Israel caused Christ followers to have to run as well to Asia, to Africa, to Europe to spread their belief. They, they had an influence on Gentiles and those Gentiles joined into the Roman army and many of them, they have record, they went all the way up to Britain with the gospel. God is a God of incredible logistics who orchestrates a detailed plan through human history and Jesus' arrival was not random. So think about it for a second. If God could orchestrate all of that, surely you can trust in what's going on in your life. Isaiah 46, 10 and 11 says, God says my purpose will stand and I will do all that I can please. What I have said, that I will bring about. What I have planned, that I will do. A little bit later in 49.23 of Isaiah, he says, Those who hope in me will not be disappointed. Give glory to God because God's will will always be done. Nothing can stop the will of God. His timing is perfect. His plans are incredibly masterful. And then the reality of the fact that nothing can stop what he's going to do. I I just look at this story, Luke chapter 2, verse 1 through 3. It says, In those days Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census be taken of the entire Roman world and everywhere, and everyone went to his own town to register. I just just look at that and I go, here is this God who has exact timing, his planning. This is a real event that happened in history. This is not just a story. Here is Augustus, the most powerful person in the world, and God uses him to accomplish his purposes. And not only can he take the most powerful person in the world, but he takes the most powerful person in the land who does not want this to happen. And so Herod, we're told just a little bit later in the story, seeks to destroy all the children under the age of two and put them to death. And yet God outsmarts him and has Joseph 
go to Egypt. See, he takes the most powerful people and uses them as pawns in his hand to accomplish what he wants. He can also take the most powerful people who seek to oppose him and still get done what he wants. God is going to do in your life what needs to be done. When it comes to accomplishing God's perfect will, it's not a matter of whether your boss loves you or hates you. You may be thinking your promotion is all in that person's hands. And their promotion might be, but I want to tell you what isn't in his hand is the purposes of God. And really interesting about the purposes of God in his timing and, and how his plans are being put together and the fact that his will is so strong, it's the capital W will, all other wills are little, you know, under, uh, what is the word, that you, the small letter? Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. In comparison. And what is really interesting is, is you, you get this sense of, of Abraham and you get the sense of Joseph and you get the sense of David. Isn't it interesting that as they're being told that God's going to promote, what happens in their life is things seem to go backwards rather than forward. You might even think that at work, I thought it was going up and it's going back. Or I thought with my kid's life, it was going this way. I've been praying for this. And I thought if I would just do this, this would happen. And now it seems to be heading back in the wrong direction. You know what? God uses that. Your promotion, might you think, is in someone else's hands, but God's purpose is in his, and he will bring about whatever that promotion is when his time is ready, because his plans are always so meticulous, and his will can never be stopped. Give glory to God. Say it with me. Give glory to God. Because he announces one other thing. And here's the message that's so important. Give glory to God through Jesus, who is your Savior, Messiah, and Lord. Three words so important. This message the angels gave is so important. A Savior. For unto you is born this day in the city of David. A Savior. If you've ever sinned against God, you need a Savior. The angel came to Joseph and said, you should call his name Jesus. And then he added these words, for he will save his people from their, not mistakes, their sins, their willful offenses before God and others. Only God can forgive sins against God. Think about it. I can't forgive sins against my wife. Right? You can't forgive sins against someone else. Only you can forgive and let go of that done against you. And so it only makes sense that this great message that comes, that is a, a real event that, that occurred in God's timing, according to his plan, that no one could stop, has to come and God has to be there because only God can forgive your sins. So in Jesus, God shows up. And at one point, Jesus says something that offends so many people and offends people today. They don't, even, they don't like to talk about sin. But Jesus said, the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And they go, wait a second, only God can. And he's looking at him going, yeah, that's me. And now he's a Savior. He is a Savior who is Christ. Not only is he a forgiver of sins, but he's the fulfiller of every hope. The word Christ is not the second or last name of Jesus. We like to, th- we get confused at Jesus Christ. Oh, Kevin Meyer. No, no, it's Jesus the Christ or God's anointed one. And by anointed one meant the one that God 
had placed his spirit so much on, not just a drip, but it's drenched full in him to accomplish his every purpose to fulfill your hopes and dreams. He is not only the forgiver of sins as a Christ, he's the fulfillment of your hopes and every dream. And then he goes on, he says, not only is he the Christ, he's the Lord, which is the ruler, the sovereign, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the Lord of the universe, the savior, the anointed one, the promised one who is the Lord who rules over this whole universe and over our lives. The Lord of never-ending, all-encompassing, universal and sovereign governance is Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government of this universe shall be upon his shoulder, and he shall be named and called Wonderful Consular, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. So on a day in real history... In a city, in a real world, Jesus born, lived, died, raised, and ascended as Savior to take away our guilt, as Christ to fulfill our hopes, and as Lord to defeat our enemies and through his love make us safe, secure, and satisfied forever. Give glory to God because the angel said glory to God in the highest. And on earth, catch this, peace on those in whom his goodwill flows. And all it requires for the goodwill of God to flow through you is faith and trust in him. That's it. Faith and trust in him. On earth. On those whom his favor rests. And then the last is this. Give him your highest praise, which is exactly what the angels did after the birth announcement. I'm going to ask the worship team if they would come. I'm going to invite them to come. Because here's the last thing. Give glory to God, because because of his love, it evokes our praise. You can't help but praise. When the angel announced this news to the shepherds and pointed them to this little village and in this village a sign would be this baby who's wrapped in a manger lying um, all wrapped up in cloths. Suddenly we're told after he makes this announcement an army of angels appeared in the sky. Isn't that kind of interesting? It begins with just one angel. We get the story right. One angel makes an announcement this incredible announcement of all that I've been just talking about and and, in, and immediately, there's an army host of angels all around. Evidently, one angel can bring the news, but it does not suffice for one angel to respond to the news. Isn't that interesting? Did you catch that? One angel can announce the news, but it takes the whole realm of angels and all the universe, and you and me as well. It evokes praise. Jesus said at one point, If you don't give praise to God, if you don't give glory to God, guess what's going to happen? The rocks and the hills and all of creation will shout out in praise. So give glory to God.